Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 231 for Monday, February 6th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me this week, filling in for Johnny, is Fwip, another Empire's server mate. Hello, hello, hello! I'm back! You can't get rid of me! It's been a minute! It has. It has been a while. We were joking with Mythical Sausage last week that it's been four years. It has not been that long for you. Uh, the last time Fwip was on the show was episode 107, Blasting Email with Fwip. And that was back in September of 2020. So two years and a bit, not not quite four, uh, but still still up there. Glad to have you back. Uh, for folks that are wondering, you can find Fwip at FailWhip on Twitter or FWhip on YouTube. And that is where you can watch Hardcore Series, of course, Empire Season 2, making a comeback in 2023 after the Christmas break. And you also have the FWhip 2, TWO, uh, the second YouTube channel. We've been do doing some extra content there as well. It's uh, You've been busy, my friend. I have that it's honestly that one's come up recently because I've just I very much want to get a second silver play button and it is so close at this point in time so I'm just like hey, let's just throw a little content out there it'll just slowly get up there and so that one's been that one's been fun but yeah for some reason I've I I was like you know what in January I'm gonna take some time off and just chill and then my brain was like, no, you're going to you're going to work on everything. You're going to do everything all at once. And I was like, OK, I guess I guess I'm just going to do a lot right now. This is fun. But yeah, it's good to be back. Thank you so very much for all the, the shout outs and everything. Happy to be here. We're happy to have you. And uh, if people want to know just just how busy you've been, <laughs> especially over the weekend. Oh, my gosh. Yes. They can check out the render distance, which is the extended version of the podcast. Uh, that is over at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. People that support the show financially get an opportunity to listen to extra content. And of course, we want to thank everyone that supports the show. It is the first episode of February and uh, you are the reason that we get to make this content. You get to hear us talk about armor trim coming in Minecraft 1.20 and all the extra things that we do like the chunk mail dispenser and all email show uh, that should actually be happening around when Pixel Rivers is back later on in the month. And we have the February monthly Minecraft Hangout, usually the last Saturday in the month. That's just for patrons. So if you do decide to sponsor the uh, the Spun Chunks on Patreon, then you get access to a lot of extra stuff, which is very, very cool. It is guests go first rules. Fwip, what have you been up to in Minecraft this past week? I have been working a lot in my hardcore world. I decided in January that I was going to try for the first time live streaming an entire project uh, and just kind of seeing what I could do. And I love creating custom biomes. I absolutely love just terraforming and creating a world around what I'm doing. So I decided this time to expand. I had created a custom birch forest back before the last update came out when the wild update was talking about updating birch forest i was like you know what this could be kind of trendy i'll do my own custom birch forest let's see where that lands and then that expanded into kind of a forest edge biome with kind of blurring into a plains biome and i built this giant monolithic structure almost like something you'd see out of one of the old halo games or something like that when they're on the ring i just really wanted to create this grand old thing that doesn't really have a story behind it, but just seeing it there adds so much age and everything to the world. So I really wanted to just give it this full environment around it. So I've been doing that a bunch in the hardcore world, kind of 
finishing off the custom biome and using that forest as a way it has kind of like a divider between regions as just something so I could start new build styles and stuff as there's these really tall trees blocking the line of sight from one side of the forest to the other felt like a very natural barrier for having different build styles on one side and kind of a different thing to really expand what I'm able to do inside of the world. So I've been doing that a lot. I've also been working on the building interiors inside of this, again, in the hardcore world, I'm building a massive city. Uh, so I've been going through the process of building a bunch of interiors and just kind of decorating out the area, just seeing what I can do in there and just really bring it, like a medieval fantasy city to life has been really, really fun. Uh, so that's been what I've been doing over in the hardcore world. I also recently started a skyblock world um, in hardcore because apparently I love just crouching and moving around on cobblestone slabs for a really long period of time. Uh, I'm pretty sure my <laughs> pinky is getting very buff off of this one, uh, but it's been really fun. It's been a really nice feeling to have a fresh Minecraft world that's nothing. There's no huge expectations. There's nothing crazy going on. It's nice to just chill, relax and play Skyblock. And I, I enjoy the game mode and I have done it a few times in the past, but nothing's really stuck because other stuff has come up. And I feel like I'm in this kind of lull period where I have long standing series. So I'm really excited to give like a Skyblock world some time to shine for a bit. Um, and then last one is behind the scenes. I don't have anything to share on this one too much, but I've been working on planning a new spawn area for the Empire server. Because right now on Empire Season 2, we just have a little campfire with seats around the fire for every single Empire to sit on. And we want to do something special and expand that into some grand building area where all the Empires can come and collaborate together and have a place. And it's kind of a place where they can meet up and record like clips to trade with each other, have a place to bring everybody together for meetings. Instead, right now, we just meet at somebody's base where they built a table. And so it'd be kind of nice to have almost like a Knights of the Round Table type feeling. We're all in a big, I'm really looking forward to a scene where we're all in a big circle around a table and people are just shouting at each other, spewing nonsense and just letting things go. So that's kind of, it's been, it'll be fun to get that worked out. I'm really in the beginning planning stages of it, but so far I'm liking the result and hopefully I'll have something to share in the next few weeks. Sounds like um, the Jedi Council room from Coruscant. Before it was, <laughs> you know, before it was ransacked by the Empire. Like, I feel like that could be, yeah. you know, I mean, maybe it's a little bit too sci-fi for for Empires, but, you I know, like there's it's, still some inspiration you could draw from it. Yeah. Well, I just have the round room, you know, like the, the round room with the chairs around the side and the big vista view. So like if you're doing videos and you're talking to one another, you have this immaculate background as you look out over the server. And that way you've mm -hmm. got views no matter which way you're looking. Like that kind of stuff would be, okay. would be really, really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see it. I see it. I'll have to go check that out. See if I can find some good concept art behind it. I uh, I love what you did with the biome. I uh, I was looking at that. It's like, man, that feels really familiar. And as soon as you mentioned Halo, I was like, snap. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. I recently, like only this fall, uh, got in and, and played Halo Infinite. Like I hadn't played it before. And so mm -hmm. th like the, the, the visual of walking around on the ring uh, on the halo was very much in, like still in my brain and you nailed it like it really it doesn't feel like a copy of halo obviously but it feels very inspired by and and that feeling of like this has been around for a really long time i have no idea what it is but it's definitely mm -hmm. not na like nat as natural as the rest of the landscape which of course you've done very very well like, like the custom birch trees are just super super cool and this is the kind of thing where you see that kind of custom biome in minecraft and you think like wow it's it's 
that's what it should look like, you know, because it like it just feels like so much more of a natural forest. I mean, you and I both being in North America, like it feels like the kind of woods that I oh, yeah. walk through on a hike, oh, right? Yeah. And uh, they're so well done. And uh, even to sneak in the uh, warped fungus, the warped root. What are they? Warped root, the little, the little nether sprouts. Uh, there's the nether sprouts and warped roots in there. There's both there. of them. Whatever, yeah. both of the two little ones. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Like it really, it still, it still kind of goes with the, with the vibe of the biome, but it doesn't, it doesn't overpower. You know, like it still feels mm-hmm. very much like, like it's meant to be. I, this was the scene from your, your Fwip two, uh, fishing with Fwip video that I watched uh, recently, and uh, it looks. It looks good in that video too, but this of course is a shader screenshot that you shared with us here. And man, like just, it really, really takes it to, to another level. It's very, very cool. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I, you can barely see it in the screenshot, but I did put a beacon coming up through the center of the big monolith. I catch So whenever I'm nearby it, I can, I get uh protection and like a strength or something like that. I can't remember which ones nice. I threw on there. But I was like, all right, whenever I fly by, I get a little buff. You hear the little beacon hum going, and it just really gives that sense of something is going on. And a long time ago, when I was early on in the world, I decided the way I'm taking this hardcore season is doing things differently than what I've done in every other season. So what this monolith previously was, and the reason why I built here, is that was the nether portal coming out from my ghast farm, which I got for all the gunpowder and everything like that. So it used to just be a gross nether portal floating in the sky with a glass collection area below it and a bunch of chests. So it was awful to look at. And being able to transform it into this and just have something else in there has been very, very cool. It's I can't even... I could try and find an old screenshot of what it looked before and share that, but I might have to d- dive into the archives a bit. Um, but being able to have this now in here instead of what it was before is just a whole just 180 degree transformation i absolutely love it so i'm I'm really happy with how this one turned out i'm looking forward to expanding the mountains further along the hill behind it so they kind of are more situated in the environment and there's a artist there's a minecraft builder that i follow on twitter who very much inspired this type of stuff uh, i think it's i'm blanking on their name it's like 3exu or something like that i'll have to i'll have to find them and send a link your way because they are phenomenal they are so talented in custom terrain building and everything like that and their ability to like just incorporate these ancient structures that look like they're so eroded and that they've been there for hundreds of thousands of years and just a part of it is really kind of what inspired this is i want to my goal recently which we'll actually talk about more in the main discussion later it's kind of why i brought it up is i want to add a story into this world without ever writing a word down so when players are exploring and when they're seeing things they look at stuff and their brain starts thinking of why is that there what's it mean what's going on with it Mm. and how can i expand upon that and create this whole story that they can get just by looking at it so it's like a whole visual novel pretty much of a 3d world you can explore and there's however the player or the person who's exploring perceives it that is the story of the world which i feel like I don't know. I'm really excited to kind of play with that and see where the challenge takes me of it being so open-ended of not writing anything specific down. Like there's the way that I can see the story, but I want somebody else to be able to walk through and make their own version of it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that kind of immersion is, is, um, I think my goal, you know, and it's why I was so on board when you thought of, when you mentioned like bringing that up as a main discussion for later and like, like that's something I'm definitely, looking to do with what what i'm doing in minecraft as well and i mean you're obviously 
off to a really good start with with the custom biome and, and the monolith. And I, I really like the, the medieval stuff as well. I always forget that beacons can be used as like lanterns and stuff. Uh, my... I, because of the lanterns existing in the game as an actual block, like I tend to use Minecraft lanterns for a lot of light mm -hmm. sources in my medieval town. And so uh, reminding myself that I can use beacons as well is, is nice. Are they they a full light level 15, just like the other yes. lanterns? Yeah, they yes, are. Okay. they are. I purely did it for the flex, and I kind <laughs> of regret the 300-something days. I think it was 200 hours or something like that, clearing another perimeter be able to make it kind of regret that one yeah. so uh wouldn't recommend unless you really want to spend a lot of time in the nether yeah well i mean you've got such a great you know um medieval style going on uh and and i feel like i i look at this going like well, i don't want to copy flip but like i'm taking notes on like because i after working on west hill for two plus years now like i'm starting to run out of like visual library stuff it's mm -hmm. like i've built so many roofs and i've built so many transitions from bottom to top so i'm like trying to figure out how can i do this in yet another way that doesn't look like the same build as next door and i right now i think my biggest hang up is scale i'm noticing a lot of builders that i admire work at a slightly larger scale than i do that is something that i very much had to take on the challenge this time of really upscaling i mm. i was lurking in your stream over the weekend and i think you and i build in a very similar scale and that's something that I've been trying to really push to a little bit larger recently so that I can get in that extra detail. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a good challenge. It, it's been a lot more challenging than I thought it would to upscale the builds, though. I will say that much. It's been it's been fun, but it, it I'd be lying if I didn't say it was a big challenge. <laughs> when Mythical Sausage was here last week, uh, he mentioned the same thing that he tends to build like at a player scale and that's kind of where mm -hmm. where he goes i push my roofs higher than they need to be just because otherwise they just don't they don't look very good but i i think the next time i get into something like this or if i move on to a different world on the, the citadel i will try to push the scale a little bit and maybe choose something like sci-fi or cyberpunk or something that will allow that kind of scale to be just a little bit larger without it feeling too off you know because if it's a big sci-fi build well who, like who's to, who's to say that things just aren't that big you know in this imaginary totally. world you know uh so i think that that's something that i i will mm -hmm. be definitely pushing myself for as well uh, right now uh what i'm doing is i'm pushing to complete west hill which is uh taking me down the laundry list the to-do list of things left to do and most of it is detail related and springing off of a comment that uh, i brought up last week on the show i actually took the pond and the river outside of the east gate of west hill and i connected them with a little stream that runs underneath Ooh, the east that. road uh, thanks man yeah and it was it was a lot of fun to do i really like doing these organic waterfall stream features because while you want it to look good there's not really a wrong turn you can make right like who's mm -hmm. to say why the stream turned funny you know, and went in a different direction. Like it could have hit a rock. It could have hit anything that just, it couldn't move. And then it just changes direction just like it would in nature. So um, it gives a whole bunch of interest to the front of the East gate. It separates the, um, the custom landscaping, all the foliage and grass that I did outside the wall. Then there's the stream. And then on the other side of that, it quickly transitions into normal Minecraft terrain. So you don't have this weird line <laughs> where your custom yeah. your custom foliage stops and the minecraft mayhem begins and so i found mm. that it's helpful in that way too uh and that was a lot of fun to put together i love how gradual that stream is too like you didn't just say you know what here is where it goes down a block 
or here's where you know we just need to go down two blocks in a mini waterfall like it's just so it's just a, such a gradual smooth slope going all the way down and it looks really nice thanks man i appreciate that and uh a tip of the hat to waterlogged stairs and slabs that we can do that now and make it look you know and, and have it hit a rock and then waterlog a stair and have it you push that water on in minecraft just that half block farther and it really helps sell that it's it's running over things as opposed mm -hmm. to having a full one meter drop just to get the the water inside and uh tricky to get it to to work you know and, and move around and something i know that you'll appreciate is that um hidden underneath the east road are two water sources that are just purely there so you can hear them when you walk over. Uh, because underneath the road, of course, it's flat. So the water doesn't run and doesn't make any noises. <laughs> so in order yeah. to actually hear the stream, I put in two fake streams underneath the road to make the noise. I, w I was listening to the spawn chunks a while ago when you first talked about that. And I immediately was streaming like that next day. And I was like, all right, everybody, shout out to Joel. He did this. And I think it's an amazing <laughs> idea. I think I shot you a message later yes, on yeah. Twitter, too. And I was like, I just I just have to say this is so good. I, I had I stole the idea. I, I'm sorry. I just have no, to say it's, it's, hey, it's I, out there it's for so the masses. Good. <laughs> it's out there for the masses. I find it really helpful. I need to do more with that kind of stuff. I've been watching content creators doing more with like note blocks and like even like custom data packs with um, uh, records and things. I think you and I were talking about Perlescent Moon doing some some ambient sounds um, yes, for yeah. their, you know, environment and stuff like that could be could be really, really fun. I think you've been building some bell towers and I recently built yes. one too as a little spoiler for my next episode. And I learned how to use daylight sensors and comparators and repeaters and bells to make like a chime every time the sun goes down of like a do do do, just like with three bells ringing. And just those extra little details are so cool. It's so, I absolutely love it. I always forget. And I'm walking around it and the sun goes down. And I'm like, that is just so nice and so, so smooth. <laughs> And a fun like in-game reminder that the sun is going down too, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're, if, if, especially if you're in a hardcore world where like you've got to deal with mobs and, and things like that. Like for me, for me, the outside of the town, it's so dark because there's no gameplay happening outside of the borders of this town. Like outside of just like, as far as a couple of chunks after that, it just goes into just nothingness. And so I mm -hmm. should install, you know, a, a, the Jaws theme. So like whenever the, the sun goes down, it should be like dun, dun because <laughs> the zombies are coming <laughs> and there's not much you can yeah. do not much you can do um but i i took that kind of level of detail and started moving inside the town and started going down my checklist and some of it was a lot easier than than the amount of work that went into landscaping the the east gate things like going inside the east gate house and just like putting up some storage making a staircase putting some stuff on the ramparts, like just trap doors and signs and chests. And uh, this is an idea I think I stole from you ages and ages ago. My note blocks look like crates, so I can place them around and it looks like there's a bunch of stuff mm -hmm. just being stored on the ramparts. It's such a good detail block. I would love for them to add something actually like that. It's it's so fun. <laughs> I don't use mine anymore just because people are complaining too much that it wasn't vanilla, but I do miss them. They look fantastic. <laughs> They're just so helpful. And I mean, like the note block, it sort of looks like a crate, but mm -hmm. it's, you still have to stretch the imagination. But if you just make it look like a crate, well, like it doesn't really hurt anything. Cause like if someone walks through my world and they don't have the texture pack on, although everybody on the server uses the same one now, um, it wouldn't look terrible. Like it wouldn't look, it's not like it's going to be a glazed uh, magenta terracotta block sitting on the wall. I always think of them as like a crab pot. 
when I when I'm thinking about where to put them, I always put them towards the docks as if it's like a little crab pot or something that the fishermen brought back in. Yeah, I could see that. So after all the work outside, I went inside and this was uh, several streams of just um, beds and tables and chairs. Uh, I went over and did the inside of uh, the top floors of the gatehouse, but then I moved over into the, um, the Smiling Goat Tavern and Inn, which was um, built a long, long time ago. And the ground floor was roughed in, but I realized like I hadn't put in all the details. So I went in and I added like candles and cups which are just um flower pots and just it's mostly vanilla like there's a couple of things with data packs with the tables and chairs that i really like but most of it's just like the new candles um different ways to uh, place blocks and of course with candles and um a couple of other things along with the lighting changes these didn't exist when i built this thing two years ago so mm. I'm going through them. I was like, I don't need six lanterns in here. Like I can just, <laughs> I can probably get away with one. Right. And then yeah. have, you know, one room I think had like a couple of zeros. And I, so I put a couple of candles on a table and I lit them. There's candles in every room in the inn, but they're not all lit because they don't all need to be. And so mm -hmm. it was nice to just like have these dimly lit, you know, areas. Now, sometimes it's not the best for screenshots, uh, but the attic is not like a, a individual rooms. It's like one big kind of like group bunkhouse for like the cheap beds for the night. And that is very dim. It looks fine on stream, but like screenshots with shaders and stuff, the candles don't give off a whole lot of light sometimes. Being able to just explore and see it though. And like being there in person, that mm. atmosphere you're creating, it's worth it. It's so worth it. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Like you, so you put a light in the corner and it lights up enough for you to see everything, but then you don't have to worry about, you know, mob spawning because like between the blocks that you've placed that will block the spawns and the light level being at least one in, in most of the, the spaces, then like you're kind of golden and you, it's almost to the point where like it's spawn proof, but I need to add some light here because I can't see where I'm going. <laughs> and it's, it's like, I've, you can't see all the work and the detail that I put into it. So mm -hmm. that kind of stuff has been fun. I, I, I'm hoping to kind of switch between different tasks where like, I'll do a little bit of landscaping. I'll do a little bit of interiors and I'm hoping I haven't left too much, uh, un, unfinished, but, um, it's nice to check things off the list and it's nice to go through and, you know, some of the data pack placements for the tables and chairs were old and broken. Like they were, the, the model wasn't loading. So I had to break them and replace them. And that, those are like really quick, like, oh, that took 10 seconds. Check that off the list. So like I'm moving through quite quickly and, uh, it's been a nice change of pace compared to like looking at a section of the town that is going to be a new building. And you're looking at that one space for probably the next three or four streams, you know, because <laughs> you and I put so much time and, and detail into it. Like, I know you, you understand what I'm talking about. Oh, but 100%. Yeah. You know, like when I can, I, I did the interior of the Smiling Goat Inn in one stream, like done. So I was like, this is mm -hmm. weird. I'm happy, but it's a weird feeling, <laughs> you know, to not have like yeah. a part two, part three, part four. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been going well and I'm, I'm definitely going to be, um, dialing up the, um, the mythical sausage and the, the whip inspiration. Cause, uh, I've done some detailing in, in the houses, but I, I want to try and learn more of like the subtle tricks and things that you can do with vanilla Minecraft without having to rely too much on like the armor stand data pack and the mini blocks. I thought the mini blocks really do help. We've got the, the mini block, uh, data pack from vanilla tweaks where you trade with mm -hmm. the the wandering trader to make them actually useful and just having like little like redstone lamps or little barrels or just anything like that just kind of adds to that feeling of 
lived in movement like something was placed here haphazardly because it's not straight at a right angle that kind of thing yeah, i recently as a reward for myself for saving the world and everything like that for my hardcore series i was like i'm gonna install that i think i think i <laughs> i just hit three thousand days survived and i saved the world from a crashing hard drive <laughs> like i think i've earned the right to have little micro blocks or detail so nice <laughs> i'm i'm starting to explore that world and i'm very excited about it oh man i can't wait to see what you do with those that's awesome Moving into the news this week, Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 23W05A is available. The armor trim feature has been tweaked and the user experience flow of the creating new Minecraft world screen has been redefined. Changes in 23W05A updated the create new world screen. Interacting or right-clicking with armor or elytra items in hand will now swap them with equipped gear. The enchantment glint has been further tweaked to be slower and less visible and has also added more controls in the accessibility screen. Tooltips and the menu UI are now positioned so that the buttons are still readable. And there are two new options in the accessibility menu for adjusting the speed and the transparency of the enchantment glint. In the create new world screen, the world screen is now organized in three tabs. The game tab allows players to set the world name game mode difficulty and toggle cheats the world tab allows players to set the world type and seed and to toggle the generation of structures and bonus chests the more tab provides access to game rules data pack selection screens etc the import settings button and the corresponding export settings button in the edit world screen has been removed technical changes in 22w05a the following data is also defined by trim material. Override armor materials, which is an optional map of armor material to override a color pattern. Map key is the armor material that this trim material wants to override with a different color palette. Map value is the name of the color palette that will be used when this trim material is applied to an armor piece with the corresponding armor material. The following data is no longer defined by a trim material, incompatible armor material. Infinite is now a valid option for effect durations. Infinite effect durations show up as infinity symbols in the player inventory window. Experimental features in 1.20, armor trims can now be applied to leather armor. Armor can now have trims of the same material it is made out of. For example, golden chest plates with golden armor trim are now possible. The texture of the dune armor trim has been tweaked so that the symbol on the chest plate is moved up a few pixels. Loot tables for smithing templates have been adjusted as well. The loot tables for smithing templates now follow common armor trims that generate two templates, the Dune, Coast, Wild, and Sentry. This is to give new players a chance to understand that smithing templates are consumed when used. Netherite upgrade smithing templates have been made twice as common. Mojang says here, while we do want netherite upgrades to be more challenging, we felt the previous rates did not encourage further exploration after finding the first netherite upgrade template. Woodland mansions now have a greatly increased chance of generating the Vex armor trim smithing template. Here, Mojang said that woodland mansions already have a few chests that utilize loot tables in unlucky generations, none at all. It was too rare to find one of these trims and we want the challenge of getting the Vex armor trim to be more about finding a woodland mansion to begin with. Across the board, smithing templates have been made slightly more common. 
due to the method of crafting copies of templates, we want the process of discovering another template in a structure to feel like the player has just saved seven diamonds. If the templates are too rare, this situation does not happen as much, meaning players will not be encouraged to explore more structures. Fixed bugs in 23W05A. There are a number of mob movement bugs for the camel, frog, and axolotl, and some UI graphical bugs that have been addressed in the snapshot. For the full list of those bugs, visit the minecraft.net article linked in the show notes. I'm going to kick off and say Mythical and I called it <laughs> last week on the show <laughs> because they've added sliders for the enchantment uh, glint in the accessibility menu, and I'm sure they were well in the works before we said anything on the show last week, but we're still patting ourselves on the back with our newfound powers. And <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Like it's, I mean, they're going to make changes to the enchantment glint. You're never going to find one glint to rule them all. Like there's always going to be players that like the old one, the players that don't oh, want yeah. it at all players like me that just have the enchantment glint turned off in the texture. So I just never see it. I've had my own custom one for years and I finally, saw the normal one in a little like side series we're doing right now and i was like wait why am i just like wearing diamond armor i'm just so glowy what is this i don't like it this is a very welcome change to see <laughs> and because of you know some visual issues that people may have making things easier to see like the colors of potions things like that mm -hmm. i mean changing the enchantment clip will help a lot and i think oh, yeah. also i find it quite distracting uh, the vanilla version so being able to change the speed even if you like it as as loud as and bright as it can be uh being able to slow it down uh, i think is is handy as well for people that might find it a little bit distracting on the pickaxe that's always kind of like oh, yeah. flashing on your screen so good changes like more options like that are are fantastic and lovely that it's not something that you have to type in and code or fix on the back end like it's just it's a slider in the accessibility menu um, it, it makes a lot more sense for people to be able to customize their worlds. I was really expecting something like it to be behind a command, which means you'd have to turn on cheats to do it. And then it would just be so bad. <laughs> but this way it carries between worlds, which is cool. Yeah. And that brings me to my next point, which is about um, the create new world screen and the facts that cheats are still there. And in this reworking of the create new world screen, I'm surprised that they didn't call cheats something else that doesn't have such a negative context like player commands yeah. or something similar because like the idea of cheating in a single player sandbox game that you can pause and walk away from at any time like it just it doesn't really feel it makes it feel like more like something bad that you shouldn't be doing right when it's but, like no <laughs> yeah it's just more control you know like um because i've certainly done it where if I'm waiting for a screenshot and it's nighttime, like I'll just add a couple of, you know, a couple of minutes to the timer so mm -hmm. that the sun comes up faster because I'm the admin mm -hmm. on the server. And it's like, I don't want to sit here and, and it's same thing with like changing into spectator mode or creative mode to take a good screenshot. Like I'm not going to fly around with my Elytra and try to capture the best screenshot. You know, like totally. we all trust one another on my server. I'm the admin. So I pop into, you know, spectator or creative and I fly up and I take a nice screenshot and then I come back down, you know? And I mm -hmm. think that it's one of those things that, you know, looking at that as cheating is like, it's, it's a silly way to look at a, at a game as free and open as, as Minecraft. So hopefully they'll, they'll address it. Maybe they'll, uh, I mean, maybe there's internal code or something that means that they have to call them cheats. I'm not sure how they, how that all works, but I'm hoping they'll address that yeah, you'd think they'd be able to put like a display name on it and that leads to the back end name or something but something who knows? right yeah yeah I, yeah i'm not really sure about all that i think that 
I mean, the next call from players is probably going to be to restore the import export settings button. I feel like there's quite a few people as you might have even experienced when we were talking about the render distance with your computer problems, like the import export settings buttons being removed. I feel like taking things away is probably going to um, chafe players more often than not, uh, especially when you've got long-term players and players that do different things in Minecraft. Um, I know, I think Johnny was talking about having to install a new instance of Minecraft to, to do the Hermitcraft crossover with empires. And then yeah. he hadn't taken the time before recording his first couple of videos to like switch over his hotkeys and make sure all the settings are like the same. Like, wow, that's really loud. And I forgot to turn down that certain aspect of the game because that's just how you're used to playing it. And to be able to copy those settings and import world settings and stuff like that would be, would be nice. So hopefully that's just a temporary thing. Maybe they don't know where to put them yet. Um, but I can see that that would probably be something that the player base would want. That was a very funny one to see because when we did that collab and all the hermits came over to Empire server, the first day, all of their audio was peaking like crazy using the in-game proximity voice mod we use. Right, yeah. And then as soon as we swapped to going to their side, all of the Empire's people's, all of our audio was peaking. It just sounded so bad in-game because all of us were like, it'll be fine, right? And then we're like, oh, no, not fine at all. <laughs> Before we get into uh, the changes to armor trim this week, I thought it would be nice to take a quick minute and touch base with you on your two cents of the armor trim, just in general, like the fact that it's been added to, to Minecraft. So are you as excited about this as, as Mythical Sausage was last week? I really am. I really, really like the armor trim feature. I really actually enjoy it in its current standpoint, too. Um but I am all for cosmetics. I love collecting cosmetic things to make my characters feel unique in different games. And I think overall the armor trim is a really big win. And I absolutely love the fact that it's just free. And it's just something we can go and like find in game and things like that. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited to get my hands on it right now. I think the one I'm looking forward to most, which seems to be one of the, <clears throat> one of the ones that people actually don't like is the tide one that you get from elder guardians. I believe that right there with a the netherite and using either the amethyst or the diamond for the trim color, I think is going to be the route that I go. That's the one that I'm currently looking forward to the most. I just think it looks really cool that like the darker netherite color with like the light blue or the purple to it, I think it'd be fun especially with the new enchanting glint. I, th I think it's going to be a cool one, but it'll be interesting to see how it gets added into anything else down the road. Um, but overall, I think it's a it's such an easy win <laughs> it, for Minecraft doing an exploration update and something like this of that you're you can forever have a marker on your character as long as you keep the armor and you don't die and lose it or like forget it in a barrel somewhere like you're forever going to be able to have this accomplishment that I went out and collected this trim which I think is pretty cool I am curious to see if they're going to add any advancements down the way for collecting all of the trims or collecting one of the trims or something like that so it'll be interesting to see the only part that I'm a little iffy on right now is that when you use a trim it gets used up I feel like sure it can be a way to keep it wanting to explore and keep going out to get everything else but for me as a collector, I feel like I found it the one time and then having to go out and do the same thing over again for the hope of finding it again. I know I can use the diamonds, which is fine. I guess that means I think Sausage said it too, but it's finally a use for diamonds outside of crafting jukeboxes, which is nice. Um, so overall, I think it's a great feature. I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'm interested to see 
how the player base feels on the templates moving forward and how those work in general, even the netherite one or the regular armor trim ones. But I think the trim feature itself for the customization is it's just a huge win. I, I absolutely love it for that side. So when you're talking about using the diamonds, you mean when you want to copy an armor trim template, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that the challenge for, for Mojang here is going to be communicating clearly to the player that you can copy them. They've, mm -hmm. they've added these, these chests, uh, these early chests where you're going to get two so that when you do use one, you'll notice that it gets used up. Um, but I don't know outside of the tooltip popping up that you're going to be able to quickly grasp that you can craft them once you have one. And I think, yeah. that, um, I think that's going to be going to be tricky to communicate because looking at the sprite in your inventory for the armor trims, it's not necessarily immediately obvious what they're made of and that you could copy them using those blocks. So um, to your point about advancements, I'm sure they're going to put in an advancement that has like collect all the trims. I would hope that they'll have a small advancement tree that will say you've collected your first trim indicating to you there are more uh, and also crafting your first yeah. trim i One think for like using yeah. an armor trim at a smithing table exactly exactly i think if they communicate that via the the achievements um or advancements tables i can never remember which goes which um like i think that will help communicate to the players like oh okay so like i once i get it i can then copy it and then i can go get more if i find more but i have to make sure that i keep like a master copy somewhere um, yeah, you just the unfortunate thing is that, you know, there's going to be someone that either one doesn't realize that and uses up the two that they have. And then they they've got the two pieces of armor with their their jungle, you know, wild trim on it. But then they don't have any more because they use them up or the person that thinks they're using the copy and then realizes they've mistakenly misclicked and they've they've used up their master uh, copy oh no <laughs> you know and it's like from a woodland mansion or like something really difficult to get you're like yeah. oh that would be so harsh and so yeah we'll we'll have to see i'm i'm okay with the netherite stuff i got into all this last week i don't think the changes in netherite are, are that bad um i think i might as a long time world you know player go out and get some more netherite before it changes in 1.20 just to kind of ease my own pain <laughs> it's one of those things where i'm very thankful i have my whole set mm -hmm. i think uh for me i just i've for some reason i've always been scared of bastions because i've been playing hardcore since before they came out i believe right and so i've just never really had the chance to run around in them too much i've always just been a little too scared so for that being in there for me i'm like oh no i really hope i don't have to go back in there anytime soon um so i think it's fine though i think it i think it'll be a it'll be an easy change there there's so many ways that you can get through bastions easily that it will be in the end it'll be pretty doable and pretty easy to get around i think it's just gonna be one of those things of put on a gold helmet carry a bunch of boats with you so you can put the brutes in boats and then they're not an issue so <laughs> yeah there'll be ways to ways to tackle it i think I mean, the changes that they've made to that as well will mean that you're going to be, you're going to have more chances to get netherite. Like it's not, it's going to be hard to fight to get it, but I think you're going to be more rewarded if you go and do that now. So that will hopefully ease it a little bit. I'm interested to see if they increase the chance of finding netherite in those chests, like finding ancient debris and things in the bastion right. chests or not, mm -hmm. because right now they're just kind of elongating the amount of time it takes to get netherite, which I I, I think is okay 
but there's still so much just digging around in the nether rack low in the nether to get it that this new route that they're doing is so much more fun like there's so right. much more than just digging until you find a thing we already do that to get diamonds so having a different type of experience to get netherite is beneficial which you do get out of getting the netherite templates the upgrade templates but then I think they need to also increase the drop rate of netherite inside of bastions, maybe just in the treasure room where there's guaranteed to have two of these templates, I think. Right. Um, so that would be a good way to meet it in the middle of you get this reward for doing something more daring and you also get your templates. So that that I think that could be a much better way than what they have right now. But who knows? So moving on to some of the changes that they did this week with the same type armor trim uh being like essentially a darker version of the material mm -hmm. i think it's a nice touch you know having a dark gold trim on gold armor having a it's almost like a deeper diamond color um on on the diamond armor uh netherite's hard to see because it's just it's like darker netherite and netherite's already pretty dark to begin with yeah uh, it doesn't look bad but it's just it's just an interesting kind of inlay adds a little bit more depth to it but i think that those are are good for two reasons one it gives more options because maybe players like like that look and two, it removes confusion. You know, it's like, why, like, I can do this on everything, but the, the same two together don't do what I want it to. And it's it's not so much that, you know, people don't like restrictions or rules. It's just that to communicate that to the player means it probably doesn't feel good. Like, you try to do it like, ooh, I wonder what gold on gold looks like. And it goes, eh, doesn't work. Right? Yeah. And I think that doesn't feel good as a player. So be, ha allowing it to work gives more options. I mean, I think it, it really kind of goes a long way to, um, you know, offer, you know, different ways for players to express themselves. Uh, and then you go into uh, armor trim being applied to leather armor. It's cool. It's an expensive change uh, because you're applying, you know, gold to leather armor. And I don't know, I don't even wear leather armor. <laughs> I think I think I yeah. just wait until I get until I get iron armor. The only purpose really is like for the boots to walk on powdered snow. Right. But even yeah. then, it's like just stare down with your shovel and you'll always break it before you even if you just punch it with your fist, you'll break powdered snow before it kills you. So, yeah, it's pretty worthless. <laughs> I mean, leather boots are good for the convenience. If you are an early game, you are in a snowy biome and you're trying to walk over the mountain because you can't yet fly yeah. over it. Right. That's true. Uh, yeah. It's like, cause I mean, cause everybody else that has an elytra is like, oh, look, there's Timmy with his leather boots, like a sucker walking over powdered snow, <laughs> like <laughs> while you're cruising over with your elytra. Like, I just, I don't see, um, it's cool again as an expression. I mean, there's so many different colors. I saw a couple of videos over the weekend where it's like 600 million different combinations of leather armor color and trim color templates. Like yeah, it's, it is bananas. As you add more dyes, you create custom colors outside of just the dye ones, which I've always loved about leather armor. So exactly. it's cool to be able to see that added in. So you can, I think you can add up to like 14 or 15 dyes. I could be wrong on that one. I definitely need a fact check there um, to an individual piece of armor to get it to exactly where you want to very specific hues, which I think is really cool. It's such a interesting feature that is just not utilized at all because leather armor is so bad <laughs> well that's the thing right and and to mythical sausage 
uh, making a point last week. Uh, it's about, you know, what are you going to wear around functionality as a player? You know, like leather armor doesn't last very long. It's got low durability. It doesn't last mm -hmm. long in the game experience. And yes, they've, you know, changed the game experience on the netherite end, but that does that, that doesn't change the early game experience. Like you can still get ar iron armor pretty quick. You know, it's yeah. not like you're lo loafing around in leather armor for a while. Um, and again, like with nether travel uh, and overworld air travel, you're going to be probably wearing a gold helmet and probably wearing, you know, um, a set of elytra. I mean, maybe your boots are gold, but like I, most of the time I imagine that the gold piece of armor that people are wearing are going to be something that's, you know, not as essential as like, say, pants that have better protection ratings or boots because mm -hmm. you're jumping off of stuff all the time and their durability goes down. Like there's just yeah. all kinds of reasons why people are not going to be wearing full sets of leather armor for very long. Now, as far as customizable features go outside of vanilla games, having this amount of options available, I can only imagine that data pack authors and mod authors are just like, oh man, this is like Christmas, right? Like who's to say <laughs> that you- foaming at the mouth over there, just like, yeah. yes. <laughs> I might've said this last week, but like now you don't even have to sacrifice iron or, or diamond armor to make something cool. Like you could take a leather set and say, okay, if you get the wild armor trim on this leather armor with this specific color, and we're going to make you like a nightclub tracksuit. And that's just, you You still yeah. have gameplay in game that you have to do to unlock it. It's not just a texture pack that you apply on the back end. And then you get to go and make all this kind of cool stuff. More for SMPs where people are seeing other players because like, I, I don't remember the last time I even looked at myself in game, right? Eh. So a lot of times the, the armor trim, I think it's cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm behind it. I don't see myself really going out of my way outside of just like experiencing the content and, you know, having some, a little bit of fun with it. Um, and then like maybe like decorating some of my, my medieval keep with like cool looking armor stands, like mm -hmm, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff could be very cool. I still um, just keep thinking that Mojang saw what we're doing on empires and we're like, you know what? That's pretty cool. They all have their custom armors. That's pretty cool. We're going to, we're going to take that one <laughs> all around. I mean, changes like this and options for players that allow them to have more creativity and, and encourage, you know, exploration in the world, I think is, is going to be a good thing. It's one of those things that like. There's no negative to it, in my opinion. Sure, there's things that we could want different, but the fact that it's here doesn't harm anything else. And yes. so I just see that it's just an absolute win for me all the way around. Like, sure, there's always things that people are like, man, I wish it did this, man, I wish it did that. But it's always one of those where I'm, I'm just really, I'm excited to see where it goes. And I think I'm, I, when 120 was revealed, I was really not excited about it i thought it was very lackluster and granted they said hey we're not releasing everything we have right now we're gonna wait until we have some more information and share things when they're ready which i totally supported that decision but even after the first few rounds of things came out i was like i don't know i don't think it's gonna be that great but now with this and the last few changes they've made on the back end and just like how things function in game i'm really excited for this update and i was not expecting to be so i'm looking forward to it i hope I hope we get a little I hope we get a few more things because I think it still needs more to be a full fledged update, but it's looking really promising to me. And my guess is that they're probably keeping the larger things that are taking longer to work on a little bit closer to the vest. Uh, and yeah. then hopefully they'll they're you know, we'll get details with those and snapshots as we get closer to whatever the release date is. But then, of course, you've also got like what like what are we going to call it? I, you know, as someone that reports on it weekly, it's just like the unnamed update. I mean, we just call it 1.20, but like it would be nice if we had you know, uh, something to 
point towards or I, and I guess in some ways having a name out too early might, you know, set player expectations, which you're trying to avoid as well. But it becomes very difficult when you're trying to see where they're going with it, but then they've given you no hints other than like the little bits of stuff that they've released. So having, you know, player expression and stuff like that, I think it's one of the, the things that they mentioned at Minecraft Live. And that seems to be a through point. Like we definitely are seeing those kinds of things, uh, hanging signs, you know, um, the the -hmm. new armor trims like there are definitely more ways for players to like put their own mark on the minecraft world than than before and i think that's kind of where they're going um but we'll have to see what else what else comes i think the more customization we get to make each zone that people are working on whether it's your base your friend's base or even if you're somebody like i think the two of us do this where we like to build sections of the world Mm -hmm. then go somewhere else and build a slightly different style And so the more options we have to customize things and not make them all feel the same, except like, oh, here we have the dark prismarine roof versus the other villages, the spruce roof village. And so I really like that we can now create different atmospheres outside of just different blocks to really make something more special and unique, which is fun. Well, speaking of wishful thinking, we have an email this week from Annie11, armor trims with functionality. Hi, Joel and Fwip. I just listened to your newest episode discussing armor trims with Mythical Sausage and once again really enjoyed the episode. Being relatively new to Minecraft, I've only been playing almost a year, I'm not especially hyped by the prospect of Netherite being harder and more expensive to get. What I wonder more, however, is why the trims only have aesthetic effects, no functional use. To be honest, I personally would not go in search of specific templates and spend a lot of diamonds just to look a little bit cooler. However, it would be tempting if the material added to the trim changed the functionality of the piece of armor. For example, a gold trim might appease piglins like a gold helmet does. Lapis could make your swim faster. Redstone could add speed to your movement or your attack speed when shooting a bow. Or copper might make you immune to lightning like a lightning rod, and so on. I think this could be interesting both in reinforcing the piece of armor in additional ways to enchantments, And if each material trim had a disadvantage, like gold trim weakening your armor a bit, it would force players to compromise. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this and which functionality you would envision for the different materials. Best wishes, anyone one has died many deaths in a bastion remnant in search of netherite templates. (laughs) Yeah, I see that in in people's future. Thankfully, I do not have a hardcore world and I'm not that worried about it, but... But yeah, I think there's going to be a, a lot of that. Uh, and I think may, maybe like for the hardcore players that do start new worlds, like there's going to be that dread of that, that moment when you have to go looking for netherite. Yeah, it's going to be another thing that's a another like mark in the sand of like, ooh, I've made it. I'm like the next step up the ladder, which I, I kind of like because it really separates a lot of the hard. Pl- Granted, I feel like I'm pretty good at hardcore Minecraft at this point, so it just makes what I've done a little bit more impressive. So I'm, I'm okay with that round, but <laughs> we'll see. I see where Mojang is going with the decision to keep armor purely aesthetic. Uh, I also land in Annie when one's camp a bit about the effort to collect and craft armor trims when a, I never see myself in Minecraft and B even on the multiplayer server, I tend to play alone and I, like my friends don't really care what I look like in Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no RP happening on the server either. So there's no opportunity for, for that going on, at least not right now. I shouldn't say never, but right now there's not a lot of RP happening. So with regards to 
changing the armor trim to give functionality? Like, what are your thoughts on that? So I really like that it's purely cosmetic. <laughs> and I'm saying that as a hardcore player, where if I lost the world, that would be extremely sad. So any upgrade I can get, I'm very excited about. But right now, when I look at what my setup is, I'm pretty stacked, especially we kind of glossed over it. But there's that new change where you can hot swap an elytra and chest piece off of your hotbar. That new change alone is a massive defensive upgrade. Uh, you can already kind of do it right now if you put it in your hotbar and then you hover over your elytra and say your chest piece is on your number five slot. If your mouse is over with the elytra, you can press five and it'll hot swap them. But you have to open your inventory and get your mouse there. So it's a little bit different. Um, but anyways, sidebar done. I really like that it's only cosmetic because right now fully enchanted netherite armor so i have three prop four pieces and one blast prop four if i'm wearing my chest piece uh and if i'm not wearing my chest piece i have two blast prop four and one prop four just to stop creepers from instant exploding me and then i also have a totem in my offhand so i'm not really scared of anything except the warden at this point and i think if i got more player power in any way shape or form i would be pretty much unstoppable Especially when you look at it from like a PvP side of view. I don't know if you've done it for a long time, but if you get full netherite armor, you have some food in your inventory and you have a totem. I think one of the best ways to look at it is actually, I think it was Scar going to hunt Ijevin on Hermitcraft a while ago uh, in his hot guy phase. And their battle lasted like 40 minutes because Jevin just kept running around eating some food and had full netherite armor. And just, I think Scar gave up in the end, if I remember correctly, and he didn't kill him. But I think adding any more player power, like with Netherite, that was already something where people were, it took some getting used to, to how much stronger players became. So if we add more to that, I, I don't really like that idea, to be honest, as much as I would love all the upgrades, but it's one of those where I think it being purely cosmetic is actually, like I was talking about earlier, is this feature being such an easy win, um, especially when you look at gaming in its state right now of all of the popular games out there like valorant league or whatever else the other top games are fortnite most are free to play and then you have the ability to purchase cosmetics for your character that you really don't see that much in the time uh when you're playing the game but people love that like there's some of the most profitable games out there right now and the most people are playing them and it's purely cosmetic stuff. So I don't know. I like this. I think it's uh, one thing where a lot of people are, they might now be like, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to go customize it. Kind of like you're saying, you never see your character. But at least for me, I get a sense of fulfillment out of being like, yeah, my character looks cool. Okay, I'm going to go back into first person mode and just play, keep playing the game. But if I ever hit F5 and like want to do like a little like staring at the camera comment or something like that in a video or even just like setting up a screenshot, I feel like it just makes me feel more proud of where I'm at in the world. And then the last point I guess I have is I don't really want the meta to be created around what armor effects you have, like it, for the gold, not making the piglins angry at you. Um, or if there's anything that reduces damage from a certain source or makes you do more damage, those are going to become essential. And then that's what everybody's going to look like. So whereas right now they're trying to fix the problem of everybody always just looking like a netherite blob with purple enchantments on them. I like the idea of being allowed to customize everything and only having that as what a player choice is instead of 
something along the lines of, okay, I have to have one of my four pieces have gold in some way, shape, or form so that the piglins don't do it. And then one of the other pieces has to have diamond because of whatever buff it gives. And maybe, and you just kind of roll down of what are the top four most important buffs. And then after a while, some buddy's going to decide that this is the meta and everybody else is going to be like, yep, that's the meta. That's what I need to do because I need to have the most powerful character that I possibly can. So I don't know. That's that's kind of where I'm at at it. I, I love my cosmetics, so the only part that I don't like is the templates get used up. <laughs> right. I, I think you nailed it. Like, I think that's the main reason why armor trim is not going to get functionality. I, I, I could see it being more interesting if it did, but I mm -hmm. think the challenge to Mojang in balancing PvP forget the single player experience like just focus on the small like the small amount of pvp you know in the game and i think that if you look at the pvp patch notes of any kind of like mmo or like you said competitive game where those stats are changed uh if you look at like say world of warcraft like whenever they changed the way that a paladin's armor worked or a rogue's armor worked or something like that there would be this outcry from the community of like imbalance or whatever and what would end up happening is like if it was just not viable to be a rogue or a mage in a PvP match, people just didn't play it, even if that's how they wanted to play. If the mage yep. was their favorite character, they would have to leave that in their single player uh, with their friends. And then they'd they in PvP, they'd have to roll a different character because they it just wouldn't be in the meta. They would lose like it would be basically, do you want to win or do you want to have fun? And if those mm -hmm. two are combined for you, then like, yeah, congratulations, you've got to choose. And so that's why I, I unfortunately think that they'll not add any kind of um, buffs to the the trim. Um, it would be cool if they could find a way to buff them where it wouldn't affect PvP. So, for example, uh, to answer some of anyone one's questions, like if Emerald Trim gave me a discount with trading with villagers, that doesn't affect PvP. That doesn't affect PvE, really. Like it, all it does yeah. is just affect how quickly I can trade with villagers. I know it's no different than having like an infinite raid farm, which to me feels a little bit like you're gaming the system, you know? So like there's, there's certain things that are in the game that, you know, maybe people just aren't technical enough to make a raid farm and they, or they don't want to, cause they think they're ugly or whatever. And this would give you another option to go explore the world, find your emerald trim, find the, or sorry, like find the, the trim template that does it. Cause maybe it's not all of them. Maybe it's just certain kind. You know, uh, maybe it's one of the really hard to find ones like end game stuff like Spire, you know, from the end, like that kind yeah. of stuff I think could could help um, at a point where, you know, you hear a lot about um, players being so end game and so powerful after like, you know, long term Minecraft worlds. And I remember back before they made the changes to uh, lighting, uh, Cubfan135 made a video about like, it feels really strange that we have to light everything up like a Christmas tree. Uh, in order to provide mob safety. But at Endgame, we have control over everything in this game, except for this one silly little thing <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, that's driving me nuts. And I think that, yeah. you know, having some of these abilities, if it was um, a, a buff that they did attach to Armor Trim, putting it at the end of the game, you know, at the, the hard to find ones, the, the woodland mansions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But then again, if it's a really desirable thing, like... A better discount with trading with villagers or maybe say like, like maybe lapis could enhance some um passive 
you know, enchantments, right? Because that makes sense. Lapis mm -hmm. is used in the enchantment table. But like maybe the the enchantments have got nothing to do with like bettering your armor. Maybe it's just like, you know, movement speed or you can hold your breath longer or like stuff like that, that that's a little bit more on the passive side. But if those are things that people really want, then you're telling people you're going to have to have Lapis trim, even if you don't yeah. like the color blue, right? So it's just, it's mm -hmm. it's forcing players into a corner after giving them 600 million options saying, mm, actually, you're probably only going to want to use <laughs> one of these three. Right. So like, I think, I think that that's, that's the hang up there is that while it seems like a good idea to put, you know, something attached to armor trim that I, I don't think it would, it would really help on the flip side uh, for anything that's not a weapon. If they did decide to add trim to tools like mythical and, and I were talking about last week, having buffs to your pickaxe or your shovel with trim i think would be a welcome change i don't see a lot of people in pvp running around with shovels yeah i think it's gonna be a buff enough as long as i stop using my fortune pick to break my under chest <laughs> <laughs> well and that's the thing right like maybe they could add some things that you would otherwise need a beacon for right end game stuff instant mine deep slate with haste two please there you go like maybe, maybe that's an armor trim thing you know like maybe it has to be a netherite pick with netherite trim so super expensive but if that's what yeah. it takes and you still have to be by a beacon like that doesn't affect pvp i just get these flashbacks to diablo 2 trying to put all these gems into all of my gear to make sure i get all these hidden buffs behind it and just like being having spreadsheets trying to decide which gems i need to put in which order <laughs> to get all these things and yeah. just like i'm like i don't i don't want that in my nice little chill minecraft game exactly yeah so <laughs> I, I think that the floodgates open when you start to go down this road and it's a oh, cool gosh, idea. Yeah. Um, but it's also what mods are for. Like, it's the kind of thing, like now that this is in the game, it has a built-in vanilla mechanic of like, you have to hunt these things down. They are expensive. It could probably be done with just a data pack too. Like if people want to get buffs off of them yeah. because of all the tags that they've added to the armor to say, oh yeah, this armor is this. So this is how it's unique because it has this trim on it. Like somebody could definitely go out there and build a data pack that looks for certain types, like redstone being on each of them. And then you can give the player a buff based off of that. So it's definitely possible. Like all the customization options are there for the players who want it, which is really cool. So getting into the main discussion this week, we wanted to talk about how to keep building stories in Minecraft. This is something that you suggested when we were talking over the weekend from the layout of a medieval town like West Hill, or the depths of a goblin mine like Gobland, what is the process behind putting together large cumulative Minecraft projects that are made up of several, if not dozens of smaller parts? Things like, where do you start? How do you decide what to add and when to add it? Where do you find the why behind the project existing in the first place? So I had a, a bunch of questions that I tend to ask myself, but I'm curious, you know, because you're talking about designing the story of your world with your your monolith early in, in the show today like what like how do you approach this kind of of storytelling in a minecraft world for me it's a lot of i try and answer the story of like the day-to-day -day life of whoever is living where this thing is whatever i'm building a big goal for me when i was growing up was to get into the gaming industry and designing worlds like the world of warcraft that like players can go and explore and so I've always been obsessed with the MMO worlds. So I kind of brought that style into my own Minecraft worlds of I just want to create a massive world for people to explore. But 
unlike what we have in the big MMOs where you have NPCs walking around with dialogue options, we don't really get that unless you want to leave books all over the place, which seems like a little bit too much effort. So I've really started going down the road of how can I visually tell a story without ever having to say anything? And that comes down to something as simple as, and it's also a great way for me to lead into more build ideas, but it comes down to a simple thing as like, maybe we have a farmer over here who just has their wheat field. And then you're like, okay, so there's a farmer here. He lives here. He harvests wheat. So what does he need? Well, he needs a house to live in so he can have a place to in there. And then inside of the house, you can dive down into here. Like, what does he do on a daily basis? Does he have a hobby? And maybe he's like does some woodworking on the side. So you have some like logs outside. You have a little bench room to work at a little crafting station inside. You need to have a kitchen, a living area, some beds and all that stuff of like answering. How does his life go when he's not working? And then when the person's out in the field, like, okay, you need a field out here full of wheat, which is filling an area. Then you probably need like a grain silo as a place to store it before they're able to ship the goods off to market. And then how do they ship the goods off to market? Okay, they need a cart and who's pulling the cart? Maybe we need a little stables building for some horses or mules or donkeys or whatever you want inside of it. And then, okay, maybe there's a stables building over here and they might be raising a few other animals like some cows, sheeps or pigs or whatever you want to throw in there. And you can kind of just keep adding on next to the next. But then I was, as I mentioned, like, okay, they need a market to go to to sell their goods. And so the farmer lives out here which means there needs to be a market somewhere, which means there's going to be a village or a town or a city somewhere down the way. And then you dive into that whole story of rinse and repeat of who else brings their goods into the market, who else brings their stuff into there, and then who lives in the city and kind of what goes in there. And for me, it's can be a little daunting if I think about it for too long. So I try and only, only answer the questions of the one that I'm working on at that moment. Otherwise, I spiral and I just start taking notes for hours and hours and hours and get nothing done. And then I have all these grand plans. I'm like, where do I even start? But it's a good way for me to literally never run out of build ideas. <laughs> just kind of always have something to go to. And kind of as that next step, there's always a new question of, okay, I built this, what does it lead into for the rest of that person's life? And then how does that influence the lives of the people living in the fantasy world around them? I know that's a very like medieval fantasy example, but it can be applied to pretty much anything you're doing, whatever build style you're going, even all the way up to like cyberpunk. And I was going to say, like, as a caveat, a lot of my examples are going to be medieval fantasy because that's what I've been doing for the last two years with West Hill. Um, but I, I like, mm -hmm. I like that idea. I like that granular idea of not just like, this is a house. It needs a kitchen, a bed and a living space and an inside and an outside, you know, indoors. But it also needs like, what was the person's hobby? You know, like are you know, like, yes, they're a farmer, but are, do they also do wood carving? Like that kind of stuff, I think, is really intricate. It's just way. a different way of thinking about the same goal. <laughs> it's just a change in thinking and it helps a lot, I find. Well, because it had helps with that, that artist block of like, well, what, what do I build next? It's like, you don't have to worry about what to build next. If you've given yourself a little bit of backstory for the owner. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking in terms of like broad terms and then more narrow focused kind of questions like you were asking. So like overall, I, I broke it down into story questions, history questions, and then visual story. And I'll mm -hmm. explain what I mean in a minute, but history is like the broad strokes, you know, how long has the build been here? Was it built yesterday? Was it built 200 years ago? Like there's a huge difference in the how it's going to look, how it's going to mm -hmm. be placed in the landscape. 
and how the landscape around it is going to be influenced. Right. Um, and if you project that, you know, if you, if, if you look at like, is it something big that you're building? Did it take a long time to build? And if it did, which part is built first? And that's kind of how I approached my town. Cause like, I didn't know exactly yeah. where to put things. Uh, the only thing that influenced me a little bit to get me going was that there was an actual Minecraft vanilla village on one of the rivers that I was building on. And so I kind of like took that as like a, I'm going to put the church roughly there, but I'm going to move it to my own needs. But it kind of gave me like a, all right, there's the crossroads with the bell and the well and the church. Like I can at least start there. It gives me a jumping off point. But mm -hmm. I looked at different sections, like the main road and East gate would have been there first. And then West gate came later. And then there's also, you know, economic changes where like, the East market is mostly working class folks, you know, bakers and butchers and carpenters and stuff. The West side's all the rich people, you know, so you get like the administers of the port, you know, you've got the, the rich mansion on the Hill. You've got, you know, different important people in the town that probably live over there where they don't have to work for a living, you know, with their hands specifically. And then I had yeah. another part that's a, we called it low town. And that's like the low income that's outside the protection of the walls. It's fishermen and people that, just don't have, you know, a lot of income or a lot of station in life because back, you know, in a medieval fantasy world, it would be on top of how much money you have. It'd also be like who you related to. And they're just, they're just outside. Like they still provide and they still work with the town, but they're not, um, they're not able to be in the town. And that really helped like having that history of like which section was built first and informs how crumbly, you know, you want it to look how beaten up are the walls. I try to do less cracked brick, you know, in the new section of town. So it doesn't look like it's been around as long. Yeah. That kind of thing I think really helps. And you can apply that in any kind of like macro or micro way you want. You know, you take a look at a road, like how long has the road been there? Like that kind of stuff I think is, is important. Um, but when in terms of story, you know, you're talking about like who lives there or lived there. Um, what did the building mean to them? Like what was its function? Um, what drove the decision to build it in that location? You know, like, yes, you've built a farm. Like, is it there because it's good land? Is it there because it's close to the river? Is it there because of some other reason? And if you can ask yourself those questions, it's, it's, it really helps a lot to kind of focus where your creativity is going to go. It can be easy to spiral and, and kind of get into that, like, oh my gosh, this one build has just turned into ideas for several dozen. But I think that that's part of the fun of Minecraft and that so many people get hung up on the scale at which those things can spiral to. But then also I find in just anecdotally things like my Twitch chat, a lot of people are just so surprised that the Citadel is five years old and that the, the build that I'm working on is two and a half years old. It's like, but totally, yeah. you just, you just keep going. Like you just, yeah. you know, <laughs> you just, you've always got something to do. I'm never bored, you know? And it's, I, I, I also don't like, the initial like starting up a new Minecraft world. Like, yes, it's got the new world smell. It loses its luster as soon as I'm just grinding for my first iron armor. <laughs> as soon as you're like kind of set up, you're like, yeah. oh man, I wish I had netherite again. Oh, I wish I had enchants. <laughs> I have to go make an experience farm. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? So stuff like that I find um, tedious for me, but I find a lot of the Minecraft community tends to restart a lot and they just mm -hmm. never get to the point where they're building a dozen things that are all related. Um, and so it, it helps 
push you towards that if you can say, oh, wait a minute, this is not as hard as it looks like to come up with ideas. And it doesn't have to be medieval stuff. It can be, you know, sci-fi, fantasy. It can be modern city, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I think that that's an interesting idea too. Like you look at most modern cities, if they're old cities, you're going to see brand new skyscrapers, like right next to buildings from like 1845, you know, because that building just never got torn down. Maybe it's protected, you know, by, by some historical society, you know, maybe the building next door had a fire and it had to be torn down. And that's why there's a new skyscraper there. Like there's all kinds of reasons that you can kind of get into to kind of, um, justify the builds in, in your mind. Um, so like when it comes to the specific questions, I think that before you get there, if you find them a little bit too overwhelming, you can always start off with the broad, you know, the history sections. I, I don't have mm -hmm. a lot of RP happening in my head for my medieval town. Like it's mostly about how old it is. You know, I try to think about, you know, what the building would be used for and what makes sense in terms of its design, but I'm not overly concerned about like the hobbies of the people that maybe run the spice shop. Like I'm not going that yeah. deep. Although, not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that that's, that's a level that you can take it to if you really want to. I don't typically go there unless I like have an idea on the fly. It's more of just kind of filling out what their job profession would be and like where they're living and things like that. So that the builds themselves feel unique from the outside. Just because I, I don't want, I never want to make cookie cutter buildings like where you have the same building next to each other every single time. Uh, so I really try and take that as like, before I even build the structure of like who works here, who does like who exists in this place and what is its use for and kind of going on what we were talking about earlier in the show of telling a story without any words, just visually having a picture that can tell the story and you can explore the space and kind of get the glimpse yourself on it. Um, recently I started doing that. And then asking people to leave comments on my videos of being like, all right, so now that you see this in here, give me a story that goes in there. And I've been picking some out and put it, writing them in a book and game and throwing them in a barrel inside of there. And it's really cool what people have come up with and just different reasons behind it. Like one place I built out was a little wagon, like workshop where somebody builds wagons that and carts that people can use throughout the city to distribute goods. And somebody left a comment where they were, talking about how it was a father and son who worked the shop and the father had built the shop and had started it him a long time ago, but suffered an injury. And so now was in a wheelchair. So his son, in order to help like continue to build wheelchairs and fix up his dad's like continued the wagon shop so he could understand how to build all those things. And it was just a story that I was like, I would never have thought of this, but somebody saw what I created in there and they're like, yep, this is, that's what to me it represents. And I was, I thought it was just a really cool thing to be able to create just a little workshop area where somebody's building a, like there's a wagon hanging from the ceiling by some chains that has three wheels on it and a fourth one's nice. lying on the ground and then there's just some stocks of like extra storage and little workstations throughout where they can kind of get all the, the parts that they need and cut them or craft them or whatever they need to do in there and it was really cool seeing the stories that came out of people just seeing what i built and then them being like huh how can i think about it and write something that would be cool to actually like see in the world how they how they would see it so it's been it's been fun so i'm curious with the you know the hobby of of say like building a wagon and learning to take over the shop like what did you do in the world to encourage somebody else that might be walking through it to discover that 
so a lot of the workshops that I build, I kind of do almost a set piece interior where I don't build everything inside of it just because I want to save the time. So like the upper floors of houses, I don't really build. I rarely actually build a staircase up to them. So that, to the player walking around, they're never like, huh, how can I get up there? There's just is no way. <laughs> so people usually just don't think about it. And it saves me a lot of time on building so I can keep the world moving forwards. But as far as that, like the entrance to the wagon shop, there's a little sign out front and then there's just a giant open warehouse door that they you can easily see inside. So you can see a glimpse of a wagon in there being worked on. You can see everything else going on in there. There's a few chairs around the place for people to sit down as they're kind of working and going throughout their day. They can take a break there. And then just from that, it's actually right next to where I have a grocery store inside the city and it's right off the main road. So it's something easily accessible of you could just take the wagon out. You're already on the main road and it can get to whoever it needs to be at inside of the city. Um, and it's so off of just that alone, to be honest, is what people came up with it. I tend to treat my Minecraft worlds like a drawing or a painting. And that's just for me coming up as an artist. Like that's kind of how mm -hmm. I approach any kind of visual thing that I'm doing. Um, more accurately, probably like you mentioned earlier, how um, developers would build a world for an RPG, you know, a handcrafted, non-procedurally generated world and how they guide the player to go down the path or, hey, look, there's a city in the distance. You might want to go check that out, that kind of a thing. And I tend to use elements of the build or the environment to point the player or viewer in an intentional way. You know, I'll have uh, a closet or a, a shelf of linen that you can see through the door. It's very bright white. You know, usually it's like a couple of snow layers. So you're like, oh, there's something in there. Like that room has not been forgotten about. It's not just an upper floor of an inn. There's actually a bed and a desk and a chair and things are actually in there with intention. And mm -hmm. I try to pull viewers in that way. But that is kind of like the, the micro version of it. Broad strokes, I do the same thing, whether... I'm having a path come down and come out of the woods. I'm trying to have maybe a, a custom tree might cause the player to walk behind it. And then when they come out from the other side, it's a big reveal of like, oh, when I round the corner and I pass the custom tree, now I'm looking at the front gate of the town. Or now I'm looking at the front of the house that, you know, I could see, but couldn't quite see clearly before. It's a nice visual trick that filmmakers use all the time. Pass something in front of the camera before you move on to the next, the next scene. Oh, I absolutely love messing with sight lines. I always love like when you're walking along a road, you get a glimpse of the thing in the distance. You're like, ooh, 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 I want to go. I want to go. I want to go forward and see what that is. And then you just, like you said, just a massive tree in the way with all of the leaves or something like a building in there that's just blocking it. So you're like, OK, this building's cool, but like I'll check it out. But I want to get to the next thing. So I have so much fun with that. That's something I play with really, really often. <laughs> It's really fun because it, it can remove the pressure to have, you know, a big story attached. Like you can still communicate something to a viewer or a player emotionally without having to worry about who lives here. Why do they live there? If you just want to make a bunch of cool houses that look nice from the outside, but what you want is to commit, convey an emotion, a feeling to the player as they walk down mm -hmm. a very calm street in a little medieval town uh, or are you using elements, colors, shapes to make it scary? You know, are you, are you wanting to be, you know, have players be happy about it? It's like they get to a, a rooftop balcony and, you know, they get out there and it's just, 
this expanse of brightly colored rooftops that just it's a happy feeling you know because it's a great oh, yeah. view that kind of stuff like it doesn't have to be really complicated it can be just like this looks cool i really want people to see it like i'm really proud <laughs> of this build but one of the things that you can do to kind of amp up your world and help make that experience more than just like oh that's a really cool build plunked on a minecraft hill it's like well that's a really cool build but how can you toy with people where they can see the spire of your cool like you know emerald church from 16 chunks away and the whole experience of getting up to that is like a, i really want to see what this looks like and i just i need to get closer because right now the trees are in the way and i can't see where this huge thing actually touches the ground and then when they finally get there they can just have the the big visual reveal of like oh this is really cool i'm glad that i took the time to go and and see it and i mean all of this is kind of like aimed at the imaginary moment when uh, or maybe real moment if you're on an SMP, but like the imaginary moment where another player that's not you walks through the world, does not have your frame of mind, and you have to try to communicate to them what you wanted to do. So these are all like the big, broad questions. But to get into some of the how, like some of the things that I do is, as you mentioned, you know, like I try not to have houses be the same shape. Uh, I like to overlap houses. I like to like... It, it's a bit of an economy of space in that like they can share a wall or share a roof line or something like that, have them be different colors in the bottom or different textures, but it can help inform, you know, what that next house is going to be. Where really the good example is, is um, the, the innkeeper's house that I have attached to the inn. It's not a very big mm -hmm. space, but it didn't need its own building. And the top floor of it kind of like spins off of the top floor of the inn and sort of feels like it's the same design. But then I didn't really have to think about what I was going to do inside of it. I just immediately thought, oh, whoever lives attached to the inn probably works there. It just makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and so I didn't have to think too hard about it. So you can set yourself up for success by, you know, having like things that are next to each other, just, you know, be related in a way. You can also just do it because it looks cool. You know, I attached a flower stand to my leather shop last weekend just because it was an empty wall and it was on the town square. And I thought there's an opportunity there for there, there has to be a kiosk or something here. Cause there's just going to be too many people walking by here for someone not to put up some sort of like, you know, stand or market or something like that. And who Definitely. knows, like maybe, maybe it's the, maybe, maybe it's the leather worker's husband that happens to be a, a like a florist. And like, maybe that's how that all works out. But like, I didn't go that deep. I just said like this looks cool so i'm gonna put yeah, it like here. this this is nice here and i need something here let's do that yeah. kind of one thing you were saying earlier about that like thing to walk up to reminded me of this screenshot i'm posting in the little live chat right now of walking up into my city this is a bit of an older one so i've changed a few things on the road but like as soon as you walk in there's just this big wow factor of this mansion at the end of the road of something to walk up to and just like a reason explore. But the entire time you're walking up to the city in my world, you can see the top of the mansion spire, like sticking above the city gates as like this thing of like, I need to get over there. I need to check it out. And as you walk in, you come into this really closed in place where the city just feels like it's looming over the top of you and gives this grand scale of like the buildings are kind of leaning over the city streets a little bit. And then as soon as you get up closer to the mansion, unfortunately, I don't have a picture of it, but it just w becomes wide open, just grand, like big open plaza that really just kind of goes to show off without telling anything. It just goes to show off all of the wealth that like the mansion is able to in this really dense city just has this giant plaza right in front of it, which was 
something really cool to come up with and really cool to develop and build that was actually I know last time you guys were talking was about sausage uh and his trip to Spain I a while ago was on my honeymoon in Italy and we were just walking through so many different cities and things like this and being able to like be in these old school Italian cities was absolutely amazing to be able to see that and the contrast of like how those cities were built up compared to how cities in like America that are very much new, like much, much newer in the planning. Uh, so it was really cool to kind of be able to walk through those environments and like bring some of that stuff into how I build in Minecraft. So when you are done with the the visual sight lines, you know, you were working towards the individual builds and you're choosing colors or textures and things like that. Uh, how are you approaching like telling a story at that level? From there, it really varies a lot. I try and just make sure that the builds all look good with each other. And I think it's where I come in with a lot of the finer details of trying to tell the story when it's the actual builds in there of like the purpose of the building. What is it used for? Is there somewhere that they need to be bringing a lot of goods inside? If so, they're probably going to need a larger door or some sort of like warehouse type system on the first floor to be able to get a lot of goods in or in some of the windmills or granary silos I build, I always think of like, okay, how are they going to load it? Does it load from the bottom? Does it load from the top? Okay, if it's from the top, then we need some like elevator system of sorts or a hoist, like a barrel on a chain to be able to pull up to the top to get things in there. So I kind of think of like the purpose of the building of who works in it, what's the profession for it? And then how can I give that visual appeal of something that looks like it could actually function inside of there? as it's going and also even so much as if it's a little overgrown and I'm trying to make it look like the place maybe isn't used as much anymore or maybe they've really downscaled what they do so one of the doors they've just kind of haven't bothered using anymore so from the inside it's like barrels everywhere covering the door so it's really not used much and then outside that door maybe some grasses started growing there because they just nobody's bothered walking through that section in a really long time and then it kind of leads the player to walk in through one certain direction instead of walking in through the other. Like there's two doors, but you can see one has grass in front of it or one has a coarse dirt or a cobblestone path to get you inside of the house, even if both doors are closed. Like I feel like most of the time, at least for me, I would try and go through the cobblestone one or whatever actually looks like a pathway, just leading the player in there to enter the environment in a certain direction. Um it's kind of a, those are little details I try and focus on as I'm going. But as far as the main structures themselves, it really comes down to I always pick a profession for the building or I purely pick, yep, this is a residential place before I build it. And then I try and think of a few things that would line up to what that is. Like if it's a forge, they probably need like a big chimney out the top of it that would be producing a lot of smoke instead of something that's purely just to heat the house in a fireplace. Like the amount of space they need to get all the smoke out is probably a lot bigger when it's like a blacksmithing forge or something like that. So giving little visual cues to the outside of the structure as well. I had function written down as something to talk about. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it's it's such a cool thing. And I love the tip of blocking a door, like putting it there, but then purposely piling stuff in front of it to say like, this used to be a thing that was used. Because mm -hmm. I focus a lot on this is a thing that is used. Like this is a path. And a lot of what I've done in West Hill is I've, I've almost overly connected things. Like places have back doors. Sometimes they have secret doors. 
for no other reason other than it's like, this build is really close to the build next door. Let's just connect them in the basement for fun. Like it just, it's a nice little Easter egg for anybody that might want to discover it. And I, you know, I get some people that comment saying like, it's really cool that you've thought of all this. And I was like, well, it's not that I thought about it beforehand. It's more like I'm kind of shooting from the hip live on stream. I just kind of yeah. know, I know where I am spatially. I was like, well, if I punch through this wall, there's a really good chance I'm going to be on like the second floor of this next building. And you're like, oh, sweet. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, you know, what would look really cool over this alley and it's the third or fourth alley that I've built in this area is what if I build a catwalk connecting these two buildings because they just so happen to be the same level. I'm just like, that's great. And then all of a sudden it adds a visual interest to that alleyway that just you didn't have there before. But yeah, I think that anytime you can take the time to design a building to function as if it really could function that way, it makes the build more convincing, thus communicating more to the player without having to say anything like label it as blacksmith. Like you don't have to have a blacksmith sign if the forge is big enough and the chimney is big enough and you know, like there's smoke coming out of it and you've got anvils nearby, people are going to put two and two together without totally. having to have a sign on it that says, you know, blacksmith. And I, yeah. and I think that anytime you can do that in Minecraft where you can try to harness the function of something, it's really, really powerful. Like uh, any kind of real movement is also really helpful too. Um, but things like suggesting movement, like having a crane hoisting the load from a raft mid mid pole like don't have it on the raft or at the top have it halfway up you know totally yeah and have it look like oh there's an empty spot on that balcony that's probably where this big load of cargo is going you know uh there's a, a, other examples are like um water wheels for grain mills or or carpentry mills or whatever you know logging mills if it looks round and looks like it could rotate, if you've also attached the axle inside the building where that should work, then players are going to suss out what it would be used for if Minecraft allowed you to spin a water wheel. Um, yeah. and, and then you can move on to something like you've mentioned, smoke. So we can use campfires to actually add real smoke animation in the game. Uh, any animated textures like water, lava, prismarine, uh, moving entities around in minecarts or moving things with slime blocks uh, can be really fun too. I know that um, Scar on Hermitcraft has done some things with minecarts kind of like zipping around in a mine, just like they're just doing loops. Like they're just kind of like going in and out of holes in the wall, but it just adds movement as you're walking down this mine. It makes it feel alive. And that yeah. kind of thing goes a long way to inform people about function and also just kind of like bring life to what can otherwise be a really static experience, you know, in, in Minecraft. And those kind of things I think are kind of the how, you know, you know, when you're, when you're done thinking about the questions that you have about the story and the history of the world and you get into like the how, it could be something as complicated as like the design of a building or the function of a building, or it could be something as simple as like, this is a road. I'm going to texture the road and just asking yourself, how busy is the road? Is it going to be busy with horses and carts or is it going to be busy with people just walking? Horses and carts are going to wear grooves down the road. So where I texture a road, it's not just random. Like I'm actually making it look like it's worn in a specific area. Definitely. And I think that, you know, like that kind of stuff, it seems like, oh my gosh, why are you thinking about this? But when you layer so much of that together, it goes a long way to making your world look convincing rather than it just being like, well, yes, your road is textured, but if it's just randomly textured with cracked stone and cobblestone, like it's cool, but it's not going to communicate anything other than just like it's chipped. 
one thing I've absolutely loved doing on the roadside recently is like like you're saying if it's heavily run by carts there's gonna be little grooves in it also in the middle that would mean there's probably a little grass growing in there too because they're usually going down in the same lane and following whoever's in front of them so you can kind of split the road into almost two lines and sections and have a little grass down the middle i i love i've been loving doing that recently just as a little way to break it up and then kind of shows that movement but also maybe there hasn't been foot traffic there for a while and it's purely only carts coming through because the middle has had enough time for like the soil to rejuvenate and seeds to set and things to grow, which is just kind of a little fun detail you can add in. Well, I think that's about where we have to wrap up this episode of the Spawn Chunks. You can, of course, find more information about the show and some of the things that Fwip and I talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by Pixel Riffs, and the Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join the community. We're pledging at any level. We'll get you an invite to the patron-only Discord chat and access to bonus audio content. We are currently at 325 patrons. That's down 11 from last week, likely the first of the month Patreon shuffle. But again, lots of room for more. You are always welcome. Special thanks to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spun Chunks and where they can go to listen to it. That includes iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. You can, of course, email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com or find the RSS feed linked at thespawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, and that's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Joel Duggan, and everything I am doing online can be found at joelduggan.com. That includes links to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media, as well as Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week, more than likely five right now. Lego on Fridays and Minecraft the rest of the time, working on the final stages of West Hill. Fwip, thank you so much for filling in for Johnny while he's away. It's great to have you back on the show. Great to talk about some creative stuff in Minecraft and in the Minecraft space. Where can people find you and more about what you're doing online? Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute blast today. Pretty much everything I do is over at youtube.com slash Fwip, uh, F-W-H-I-P. And then on top of that, I just kind of blab about on Twitter and uh, Instagram every once in a while and things like that. But almost all of my content is over on the main channel right now to keep it all in one spot and easy to find. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and it's up to you where you take it from here.